Welcome to Working Code with your three hosts who never make off by one errors, Adam, Ben, Carol, and Tim. Okay, here we go. It is show number 16 for March the 31st. And on today's show, we're going to talk about interviewing. And I think, if I understand correctly, we're going to talk about that from both sides of the table. But first, let's get to our triumphs and fails. And I'm going to steal a spotlight here. I'm, I have had some fails that I would like to talk about soon, but I have to. I have to talk about this triumph from this week. As we've mentioned a few times, I've written a book. And, and it is now in my hand in dead tree form. Listen to this. Um, yeah and is it on so, recycled paper um uh, yes question yes, mark i'll buy one then <laughs> um it's so i mean it's it's self-published but it's going to be available soon as print the, the one that i was just flipping through is a proof for me to make sure that the graphics all line up right and i'm happy with the way it looks on the inside and stuff so i'm just super excited about that it's it's a book i wrote in 2014 and i've had several people over the years ask me for a print edition and I've always just said, you know, I'd love to, but don't hold your breath. And so finally, those people can stop holding their breath. Well, that's I awesome. saw what one. I love print copy. So I'm that person. Yeah. yeah. I want an autographed copy. Yes. Yeah. I, I'm trying to figure out how I can make that work. Yeah, like it's got my name on the spine here. Um, nice. I think the only way I'm going to be able to make that work is to like order them and have them sent to myself and then uh, autograph them and, and mail them out. So it, you're going to add a Do bunch it. of time to your order sure. for that? Sure, that's but. fine. I still want it. Hey, I'm My down. My son Adam, he's a published author. <laughs> <laughs> you're adding a lot of kvetch to my mom's accent there, but... Uh, is that uh, not what they sound like in We're not Philly. We're, oh. we're from all over. But uh, that is exactly the words that she would use, but that is totally not her accent. <laughs> Well, congratulations. That's awesome. I'm so so happy. Thank you, guys. Um, So I guess, uh, Tim, let's go to you next. Well, so my triumph is it's all coming together. (laughs) (laughs) As I wiggle my fingers. Excellent. It's all coming together. I've been working so hard. I mean, I don't think if you're a coder whose job is to come in and write code 24, you know, come in at eight leave it at five doing code all day long. I don't think you realize how hard it is to get a new product to market. It is so amazingly hard. There's so many moving parts. Um, There's so many agreements that need to be done. So much legal review that needs to be done. So much sales and marketing research that needs to be done. There's so many people that need to be involved. And I, and I, I, myself, I was ignorant of it for years. I didn't realize how many hands it took to lift a project like that you know you come in you get a ticket you get you know it's, it's just part of an overall epic and you're working it and you understand what's asked of you but you don't even realize how much stuff is going on behind the scenes and i have been doing all of it for this project i've been writing it i've been you know consulting on it i've been hiring people to work on it i've been working with the sales and marketing team to to build it uh, build it assets for it at, at working with customers to you know to get uh some sanity checks and you know quotes about you know how they like using it it's so much involved and it's i feel like i've been swimming in molasses for the past nine months and finally finally i looked at my board and all my tickets were done <laughs> i looked at the proof copy of what was coming from marketing. And it's like everything just all is now coming in. I'm like, oh my God, this is actually going to happen. Oh, 
Nice. Nice. That's awesome. And so I'm just elated that this is going to happen. Now, my big fear is that we'll launch it and it will just not scale and fall over on its face. (laughs) (laughs) But that's just, that's just Tim fear. I don't think that's going to happen. Face that down the road. Don't worry about it now. Yeah. That's that's tomorrow. Yeah. Celebrate now. Yeah. So I'm just happy to see stuff coming together. It's, it's, it's humbling how many people are involved in getting a product to launch. Yeah. It sounds overwhelming from my point of view. I don't, I don't know how I, I don't know how I would deal with that. You just keep kicking your legs under the water and go. I'll tell you one of the consistent themes that I've been hearing a lot in various podcasts is people bringing up the idea that ideas are worthless. Like there's Mm -hmm. nothing special about your idea because the distance between idea and shipping a product that becomes successful is so massive that you could tell people all of your ideas and you're not actually giving anything away because just giving someone an idea doesn't give them anything really. Yeah. Yep. Execution matters way more than the idea. And your heart matters. Execution (laughs) matters too. (laughs) Carol, how about you? Um, so I'm going to go with the triumph this week. I went to Hobby Lobby and bought a planner, a daily planner. And I only did it because I am not doing so well at kind of um, keeping track of just my injects throughout the day. So then when I wrap up my day coding, I feel like, you know, I've been working eight hours, but I don't feel like I've produced eight hours of work. And I don't like the feeling of not doing enough or feeling like I'm not excelling where I need to be excelling at. So I've started just kind of, and this is the second week of it total. So this week was actually very successful because I've been able to go, okay, this is every time I had to change tasks from what I was doing and just the constant kind of moving around between looking at this to looking at that, to looking back at this, to having to stash my code, to trying to get it back onto the branch I was on. Cause I didn't commit it. I just stashed it. So now I have to get it all back in place. I was like, okay, now I'm seeing like that it's okay to walk away when I need to walk away because I really did a lot today, even though not a ton got finished. So I just feel better about my day since I've kind of gotten it organized a little better on paper, not on the computer, not on my phone. It's actually in a notebook in front of me all the time. So, so this is more of a more of a reactive thing than a proactive thing. You're you're not planning out your days. You're taking notes on how the day is going, sort of thing. Yeah, I'm pretty much taking notes on how it's going. But the one thing I do is if I had something I needed to get done, like yesterday I had something I needed to get done, but it didn't get finished. So it's mm-hmm. on the very top of the list for today. So it, it's already on the list. So whenever I open my notebook in the morning, it's there waiting on me. Nice. So I do that first as opposed to starting anything that I was already involved in or that I've got asked to look at. So yeah. Nice. I'm a huge fan of paper. I, I keep a little sticky notes next to my yeah. thing. It helps too with stand up. Um, whenever I'm going through everything I've been working on, I'm like, because usually I go into stand up, I'm like, I'm still working on that thing. Well, yeah. in reality, there's like 10 other things that I'm also touching, but I forget about them because it's just in and out so quickly. So, yeah, yeah. my sticky notes were good for that. But the notebook's helping a lot, the daily planner. So. That's interesting. Yeah. I, I've started doing something similar. Um, the, on January 1st of this year, we started a Google Doc for just kind of having notes to uh, kind of encourage us to have clear thoughts going into a stand-up and to keep track of that stuff over time. And uh, it's, I found it really helpful to have that list because I can refer back, oh, you know, I know I worked on that last week. What was that pull request or where was that ticket or whatever? It makes it easier to find it because you've got a much smaller list of things. 
And so because of that, actually today I started um, taking notes for just like a personal journal of like yeah. what's mm-hmm. going on daily notes. And I'm, you know, it's, I'm day one into it, but I'm really liking it so far. Yeah, I hope I can stick with it because it seems to be very helpful. It even has a bunch of stickers in the front of it, so I can put <laughs> stickers on things. I mean, Adam, you are a published author, so yeah, I mean, <laughs> writing comes natural to you. It's just good for you. All right. I have no response to that. <laughs> Humble brag. All right, what about you, Ben? Uh, this week I'm going with failure. Um, first of all, <laughs> first of all, regardless of whether or not the clock is falling back or springing forward it just kills me for an entire week just physically and mentally i don't know what it is about the subtle difference but i just get i just get messed up um and then on top of that i've been doing a lot of research into using cold fusion custom tags to generate html emails which has been going very successfully until i moved all of it into a dockerized container mm. at which point the file io overhead of being inside a container, at least on my local development environment, which is going to be worse than it would be in production, is worse than I feel like I'm comfortable deploying just yet. Um, and part of it is also what I consider a bug in the Lucy runtime that actually performs more file IO with custom tags than it should be doing. But it really took the wind out of my sails because I've mm. been putting Aww. weeks really of personal time into this research and seeing it perform poorly inside of a Docker container was really kind of a kick in the gut. And uh, now I'm sort of regrouping and seeing if I can come up with a way to do kind of a compile time and then a runtime version that has compiled away some of the custom tag stuff. But I don't know. I'm deflated. I'll put it, I'll put it that way. I was, I was flying high and now I'm, I don't know what the opposite of that is. (laughs) Not flying high. Not flying high. (laughs) Do you think maybe the, the lack of RAM available to the VM could be causing it to just write to file for like swap disk? Well, I think I'm on a Mac and I'm using Docker for Mac and I'm, I'm not a very low level computer person, but what I've been told is that there's Docker for Mac, which actually runs its own VM. And then that VM has a file system, but then it's on top of the Mac's file system, which is itself on top of the Linux file system, I guess, under the hood. And there's, there's a lot of layers there. Turtles all the way down. And I don't have a lot of... Yeah, and it's, and it's not a dedicated... Uh, uh, the machine is primarily my host, and then there's the VM for the development. Whereas in production, it's a 100% dedicated machine for production, and it's much more powerful, and it's more native Linux. So you cut, you're cutting out the whole Mac version of the mm-hmm. file system, and then the VM running on top of that, I guess. Um, so... You know, the reality is I could probably deploy it as is and in production, the performance would likely be sufficient, but I'm just, I'm not ready to take that leap yet. That's not good enough for Ben. This is good enough for Ben. Do you have an environment outside of that you could deploy to and give it more like a production type test and find out? Yeah, I have a testing environment, but... um, You're not there yet? I've I've had, I hit such a mental block. Oh, yeah. Um, so that's me. Wah, wah. Boo. I'm sad oh, for you. Pa- you'll get past it. I'll get past I it. I know you will. I, yeah. I just gotta, I gotta find, it's, it's sometimes, I don't know if you guys ever write code this way, but sometimes I will start just writing as if there was an API that I could use 
and I'm trying to find what the API should look like by writing the code that consumes it. Absolutely. And then start to work backwards. That's kind of what I'm trying to do right now is I'm, I'm writing what I think the acceptable syntax would look like and then kind of jumping. I'm, I'm jumping back and forth between that mode of execution and then trying to do a little bit under the hood to fulfill what that API would look like and then going back to consuming it and trying to find this happy medium. Mm-hmm. between elegance and, and usability and performance. Next week will be a, a triumph, I'm sure. If nothing else, your schedule will have adjusted. Yeah, 100%. I, mean, I think we talked about this last week at some point. Just sometimes you have to do things the wrong way a bunch of times to find the right way. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I've also, for whatever reason, this week I just had a bunch of meetings. And I'm not a meeting person. I can do like two meetings a day and feel fine. But anything more than that, I'm just destroyed. And I had like five meetings today and like five meetings yesterday. It's just been a tough week. Yeah, those are the worst. And yet I saw you advocate that an engineer should be on every call with. Right. And they're supposed to be reviewing pull requests while they're there. I'm not saying every engineer (laughs) should be on every call. (laughs) No, no. That an engineer should be on every discovery right. call but not the same engineer all the time <laughs> so there's not a, you. it's scalable there's a way <laughs> <laughs> you're being obtuse tim <laughs> i i just saw him advocate for that i'm like ben is asking for more meetings that does not sound like the ben i know <laughs> true okay well i guess let's talk about interviewing where do you guys want to start you want to start on the interviewee or the interviewer side Let's start with the interviewee. I think most people have done that, right? In a smaller section, a little would bit. have been the interviewer. Right. Yeah, I mean, I feel like we've all had to be interviewed at some point, unless you were lucky enough to just land where you're at and you've been there and stayed there and didn't really have to move around. So I guess I can get going. So I have interviewed a few times. <laughs> we'll just say a couple times. I... um kind of get burnt out pretty easy. So I worked with Tim for about six years. And then I went and did a government job for, you know, almost two years and then went back to work with Tim for about two years. And then I moved to Clear Capital, which is where I'm at now. And I love it. And all the jobs have been great. I I haven't left for bad reasons. It's just needing change, needing a new code base, needing a new code base, needing something different. So, you know, code bay. I like code, a, bay. A code bay. It What's sounds like, bay? yeah, I, I don't know. It sounds like a cow for some reason in my head. Kobe I don't beef. know. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Kobe beef, Kobe yeah. Beef. So this is um, going to be fun to edit. <laughs> sorry. Leave it all in. <laughs> so I've been interviewed a few times. So going into an interview, I found that, um, I get really nervous and I get in my head and I worry about a lot of things. And one of those is being a female engineer. And it's um, not knowing what kind of room I'm going to walk into. Am I going to walk into a room of angry men, engineers who hate their jobs? Or am I going to be walking into people who are just super happy and upbeat? And not knowing that can really like mess with me personally, just having those like it messes with how I prepare for it, I guess, for the most part. So I've found that if I talk to the recruiter and I'm like, hey, can you give me the names of who I'm going to be interviewing with? 
I go ahead and build these people up in my head as like really good people so that I'm walking into it, making the assumption that, you know, these four guys who are interviewing me are just super sweet guys and we're just going to have normal conversation. So I'm not so nervous going into it. So I don't know what other people do to prepare for it, but that's, that's kind of like one of my things. It's finding out who I'm going to be talking to. So I know, you know, what the room's going to look like when I get there. But the other thing is this whole digital approach to interviewing. There's nothing more stressful than getting like sitting in front of your computer waiting for people to join a video call. (laughs) And you know, they're about to just start questioning you and you're shaking. So um, a few things that we had talked about previously with some other friends of mine was how, how like stressful it is to do that. And all of a sudden your camera doesn't work or like your headphones don't work, or you don't know how to connect to anything through Zoom. So I highly suggest anyone who's like going on an interview, get with a friend and make sure your software works. Make sure that someone can hear you speaking, because if you're trying to speak to three people who are interviewing you and they can't hear you, you're going to be fumbling through everything. Yeah, so absolutely. Just, yeah, Did that happen testing. to you? No, no, it hasn't happened to me. Oh. I'm good at this stuff. Are you kidding me? <laughs> <laughs> well, but no, I mean, that just made me think like, Absolutely. There's going to be an unconscious bias. They're going to have a, a bias against that person. It just leaves a taste. Yeah. yeah, a yeah. Taste. Mm-hmm. So being prepared yeah. technologically is a really good tip. So it didn't happen to me, but my ex had to do a WebEx call with a hospital that was interviewing him. And uh, he was like, I have no idea how to use WebEx. He goes, can I just call them from my phone and just talk? I'm like, they want to do a video call with you. He was like, you're just going to hold your phone in front of you. He goes, I don't know what I'm going to do. So I like had to set everything up on his computer for him, show him how to use it, and then push the button when they call. He was like, how do you answer this thing? So Hmm. I was like, I bet a lot of people deal with this, with getting into these situations where they used to be interviewed in an office, sitting at a table with people, and now they're having to do it on a computer. And most of them don't even know if their camera is not working, how to make it work. (laughs) Like, how do you enable that driver? They're like, I don't got a clue what's going on with it. So definitely do a test beforehand. It's funny. There's a, uh, I think maybe it's an XKCD comic where you can tell how old people are by which email host they use, like AOL mm-hmm. versus Yahoo, Yahoo versus Hotmail versus Gmail. Hotmail. Yeah. I feel like the same could be said about screen sharing. Like mm-hmm. whether you, it's a Zoom link or it's a Skype link or it's a Google mm-hmm. Hangouts or it's a GoToMeeting or it's a WebEx. When you mentioned WebEx, I was like, what, what is this person, like 80 years old? <laughs> WebEx? With their GeoCities email address. <laughs> It's just the hospital enterprise. You know, once they pay for that license, they're not going to go off of it. Kind of like people who use Teams. They're not going to let you use Slack because, man, that's built into what they're already using. So don't ask for that. Well, let me ask you this. Uh, When you go into an interview, I have not done a whole lot of being interviewed. Okay. What are the kinds of things that will throw you off in an interview? Have you ever been met with people who just rub you the wrong way or you get asked questions that totally take you out of your game? What, what, what trips you up? So things don't usually trip me up because I'm very honest. If you ask me something and I don't know what it means, I'm going to tell you that. I'm going to go, hey, I don't exactly know. I think this is what you're asking me about, but I'm not for sure. And if I'm wrong, say so. I'll jot down a note. I'll look it up and I'll tell you later either. Oh, yeah, I do know that. I just didn't know that's what it's called because I'm terrible talking tech most of the time just because I don't know names of things. 
So I'm like, I don't know if that's what you're talking about, but here's what I think you're asking me. Or can you bring it down to another level and I'll explain it how I think it is. But I think the things that typically mess people up are those technical questions that are, can you tell us how to do something? And they're just not thinking about either a quick and easy approach and they try try to like overcomplicate it. So Mm -hmm. then they're sitting there explaining and rambling on things that were probably going to be very simple. Yeah, I think that when I think about things throwing me off, the first thing that comes to mind is, uh, a, I think, a pretty popular interviewing technique for the interviewer is to ask like increasingly difficult questions or something that they have even just start with something that is, they have a reasonable assumption that you have no idea how to do or, or very little idea how to do. And the point of that would be to get a sense for how you deal with a problem when you don't know what to do, right? Like, right. What, what are you going to Google or, you know, where are you going to look for answers? And I think that it's important to realize that that could happen in the interview and to be prepared to say, I don't know, but here's how I would tackle not knowing. It's actually funny you said that because when Tim interviewed me for the internship, I don't know if he's going to say any of this or not, but I'll say it. So he asked a couple questions. He was like, do you know what cold fusion is? I was like, that's like radioactive, something science. I don't know. Like, it's definitely not a language. I have no idea what you're talking about. He's like, no, it's actually a language. He's like, okay. He's like, so what if you get stuck on something? Like, how are you going to find like your answer to whatever the problem is? I was like, that's what Googling's for. (laughs) I was like, that's when I go to Stack Overflow. I said, if that doesn't work, there are people here who have solved the problem already. So hopefully I am on a team of people who I can then approach with questions. And if not, all my friends are engineers. So I will then ping one of them and say, hey, I found a problem I can't solve. My team can't solve. Can you help me solve this? I was like, so it's just all about being able to ask a question in a way that you can find an answer. And that got you hired. Yeah, that's a good answer. Nice. (laughs) It got you because I can't tell you how many people who had worked there many years before you would come in and ask me a question that could easily be Googled and or go on Stack Overflow (laughs) and then find an answer that I wrote five years ago. Yes. So, so then I look up code and I look up cold fusion. I'm like, Oh, Ben Nadell. Yep. <laughs> Everything about Ray Camden done. I've got names now. Now I know who to go to for things. So yeah. And then, um, I think that's pretty much like some of my key things. Know who you're going to be talking to, have an idea of what kind of room you're going into. Be prepared for that. If you're not comfortable with it too, like as a female, um, I've been on the opposite side too. So I've interviewed people as well. And we've been put in the the position where, you know, someone has said, Hey, I'm not comfortable being interviewed by a room full of men and you adjust for that. So then have a female engineer in there so that someone is feeling more comfortable with the interview and not so isolated off into their own little. Right. Yeah. You know what I mean? It could be intimidating. Yeah. I I imagine I'm not aware. (laughs) (laughs) It totally can be. Like this interview I did for Clear Capital, my first interview, I asked the recruiter, I'm like, you know, who's, who's, who am I going to be meeting with? And she tells me the name. So then when I came into it, I'm like, all right, I know I'm going to be sitting at my desk on a, a Zoom call or actually I think it was Google Hangouts. And it's going to be four senior software engineers from that team and they're all going to be guys. And it was already made clear. It's casual dress. Don't feel like you have to dress up. Like they'll be in t-shirts. Feel free to be in a t-shirt so that I'm not standing there in a dress, completely dressed up. And then they're in t-shirts and jeans. And then I feel completely out of place too. 
the last job that I had an interview for, uh, I the the final phase of the interview was with like fifteen people, which was seems kind of crazy. But we were oh, like yeah. in yeah we were, basically it was like they were pretty sure they wanted to hire me, but I guess they it was like okay last chance for people to veto right. Uh, so they got the whole team together and like the department director, and it was just like you could consider it a meeting room, but there was no walls right. It was just like this room sort of attached to a hallway, and they just like had a bunch of tables pushed together in a big circle, and they were like have everybody sit down and me on uh, sort of like a buffer between me and the group, and people ask questions, and that's where I got one of those questions that was like you know just off the wall something I had no idea how to handle, but it was, you know, how is he going to handle not knowing? Right. And just knowing that you're going to have to meet with 15 people at once is going to be big and knowing, you know, these people are going to think better of you if you wear a suit, even though they do, uh, you know, business casual or whatever. Like these are important things to know going in. Yep. Sometimes I just wonder if, if we just take interviewing way too seriously. Sometimes I think we do. Uh, I mean, you know, you're going to hire people. The chance that you fire them is, you know, not negligible. The chance that they leave on their own volition is not negligible. Is the is the difference in quality of people so vast that you can't train people up? I, I don't know. Sometimes it just seems like we put too much effort into it. One of the things that we do is... Um and I think I've said this before is we hire nice people. Like that is one of the key things is to hire nice people. So if you don't mesh well with the team on the interview, you don't get hired. Like you have to be a people person and a team player. So that part of the interview I think is key. But I think if you read too much into someone being nervous and to not being able to answer because they're fumbling over their words. Most engineers are introverted. So you've now put them in front of people that they don't know. So they're not going to want to talk to them. They're not going to want to have conversations. So you have to expect that it's going to impact their ability at times to be a very good interviewee. Mm -hmm. Like you shouldn't let that judge your ability to hire them. On the side of interviewing, um, I would say I've only interviewed once in my life. That's nice. for the job I'm at currently. Um, before that, I worked for my dad. My dad had a company, uh, a car cleaning chemical company. That is a, he was a chemist and made car wax and soap. And I worked for him. As my origin story, I talked mm-hmm. about a little yeah. bit. Um, and then after that, I worked for myself, um, doing a similar kind of adjacent. I became a distributor. I basically. Anyway, it doesn't matter. I worked for myself <laughs> for several years. And then I interviewed at the company I'm at now. And I would say the, the two things that I would say were most important is one, research. Well, okay, three things. One, research the company you're looking at, right? Make sure it's actually something you want to do. Mm-hmm. So uh, I, I did know some cold fusion, so I was excited about that. Um. I, I knew what I wanted is number two. I, I wanted to be part of a company whose plan was eventually to, this was during the dot com early dot com days, right? Everyone was like going IPO and selling. And that's what I want. I want to be part of a company that did that. Now it took a lot longer than we expected, but we did do that. Uh, and I would be able to get s- stock and everything in that. Um, so, so do your research. Um, make sure you know what you want out of the position. Third, don't take no for an answer because I was told no mm-hmm. the first time uh, by the interviewer. 
and I went above his head to go to the, <laughs> to, to the person who actually owned the company just to say, look, I'll do this job for free because I had a position where I could do that. I, I, you know, I was, I, my origin story, I was kind of doing a one day a week job and pr- just doing programming for fun on the side. I'm like, I need to, I need to shift here and, and get a real, get a real job. And, uh, and so, yeah, I made that. I, I didn't take no for an answer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, if they've I, already told you no, what's the worst they're going to do? Tell you no again. again. Right? Like, no again. Right. Yeah. And they told me yes. And that, I said, I work for free. And they're like, no, we'll pay you. Yeah. I mean, not everybody can do that. That one's a bit of a stretch to suggest as a. Yeah. yeah. I'm just saying, don't limit yourself. man. Yeah. Don't no, find a way. Don't. Right. Find, find a way or make one. Or if it's, you know, if it's not a right fit, just, just find another. But for me, it's like, I, I knew that's what I wanted to do. So yeah, I went after it. So Ben had said something about, um, is there that much of a difference between people? Are we putting too much effort into this? And I think that I want to circle back on that for when we do the other half of this discussion about the other side of the table. But I think that a common topic of discussion among interviewers is the cost of hiring the wrong person. Yeah. And so let's come back to that. Um, And then, I mean, the only other thing I can think of for this first half that I wanted to talk about was like kind of along the lines of what Tim was saying, you know, research the company, but have, have questions for the interviewers. Like you should know if it's not already obvious, maybe some, you know, sometimes these companies have a public persona and there's just information about the way their company runs. That's public knowledge. But if it's not, you should know who's going to be on your team. How many people are there? What's the, um, advancement? Uh, I want to say ladder. That's not the right word career uh, path yeah career like path. what yeah what's the career path like and what sort of projects are you going to be working on there's a bunch of questions that i'm failing to remember here that are, are good actually now that i think about it i'm sure i can find it again um there is a github repo of like prompts for you to like think about to come up with good questions to ask in an interview yep i've went through that like questions for you to ask yourself where the answer is what's the, the answer is a question that you can an- ask in the interview in the show notes. Yep. I, I, would, I would say honesty is the most. So being completely honest, obviously you're trying to sell yourself, but you don't. People who lie will get found out. Oh, yeah, for sure. Very quickly. Very quickly. So d- don't lie, because if, if, you, if you feel you have to lie to get the job, it's not a job you're going to be able to keep. And you're going to be getting, you know, a, a dismissal notice within three months if, if you do that, because it will be obvious that you don't belong there. So be completely honest and don't feel that, like Carol said, saying I don't know is not a wrong answer. That actually show, shows a sense of humility and, and, and acknowledging you don't know something that you, you can find out because you can't teach someone who thinks they know everything. Right. And also saying, you know, I, I don't have the skilled level that you're looking for in that programming language or whatever, but I'm eager to learn. That's a great answer. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was one of the things I had jotted down was that um, ask about the tech stack was to find out what tech they're actually using. So if it's not something that you don't, if it is something that you don't know, you can take the time to at least go research like high level about it. So when you do go into the interview, you know, you can communicate a little bit, even if it's to say, I don't understand it. But the recruiter told me, you know, you guys are using Oracle. So I did go pull up Oracle and have been looking at how it differs from just T-SQL. Like I was kind of looking at how you write it differently so that they see your motivation to learn what they're doing. Yeah, I think having a recruiter actually is, is helpful. Because it is in their best interest to find out and discover things for both parties. 
I've been on both sides of it, um, and having a recruiter find out things about the candidate is extremely important. And and having been recruited several times and just went after it for a lark, uh, it's interesting to find out what you can learn about the company. Uh, so yeah, having a recruiter is great. But if you're not, if you're just answering an ad, a lot of times that's not available to you. I think yeah, having a good true. recruiter is good. good there's exactly. a there's a lot of them out there that are just playing the numbers. They'll take every applicant they can find and yeah. and supply them to every job that they can find and. Hope something well, sticks. We have an internal recruiter, so it's in her best interest that yeah. she hires good people. <laughs> yeah. Going back to uh, Tim's don't take no for an answer. I have, I've really only interviewed once in my entire life because I happened to stay at jobs for a long time. And I interviewed at this one place. I never heard back from them. And then like six or seven months later, I saw they posted the same position again. And I reapplied and I was like, hey, I applied last time. Never heard from you guys, but I'm still excited. <laughs> still want to come work here. <laughs> and, and then they, and they, and they hired me that time. So I, nice. it, I, I guess my learning lesson there is don't be deterred by being turned down from a company. Like being turned down from a company doesn't take that company off the table forever. Right. That was just that moment in time. That's funny. I, I, I put on an application one time and. Someone applied and he came in and he didn't get picked. It was not bad. It's just he didn't get the job. I only had one spot, right? So then later, like a few months later, we're hiring again. And, and he comes in. I'm like, didn't I interview, interview you before? <laughs> he goes, yeah, you didn't hire me. I'm like, oh, okay. Well, I hired him that time. And he worked there for, for many years. It was even funnier. It's like my, my current, our current GM, she interviewed with me and I didn't hire her. <laughs> and now, now she's, she's my boss, boss. She, she's she, everybody's she boss she reapplied for another position and uh yeah and now she's now i answer to her so yeah it just she didn't fit the, the position i was looking for and sometimes was, people don't yeah, yeah i mean i was looking more for a coder and she was really more project management type material so. I, I think and maybe this is now swinging more towards the other side of the table for the sure. interviewers but what I look for and what I try to project is just excitement and passion. And that to me is if you're interviewing someone and they don't seem to be excited, and I know that they're probably nervous, but if they just don't seem to be excited, I find that to be just like a big turnoff, especially Mm -hmm. if you point blank ask them, why are you excited about the languages you use? Or like, what's an exciting project you're working on? And they don't have something ready to go. Mm-hmm. that my my gut reaction to that is this person's just not excited about being a programmer like that's that's just not the person are. i want to work yeah. with yeah i want people who love it enough to go home and do it we may not all have time to do it but i want you to love it enough to like want to do that mm. yeah i mean i mean i hesitate to say that 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 it was always one of my questions was what what projects do you do in your free time? Mm. Um, and you know, one of them, he told me, he, I mean, he was a terrible interview. You, you know, him, <laughs> Carol, he was a terrible interview. He was scared to death. But the second I asked, what are you working on your free time? He started telling me about this JavaScript library. He was working to figure out some unsolvable math problem. And he, you know, he got, I mean, he lit up mm-hmm. and I'm like, all right, you're hired, dude. Yeah. You're so hired. I mean, if that's what you're doing in your free time, I didn't even understand what you just said. <laughs> so that's cool. But 
got to step back from that a little bit. Some people, I mean, that that's a that's a very privileged position to be in to have enough free time to do. Right. Kind of stuff. Oh, absolutely. So some some people can't do that. So if their answer is, you know what, I really want to code, I just don't have enough free time right now to do it because right. I'm trying to make ends meet. That's a totally legitimate answer. I accept that. I don't count points against that. Oh no, not at all. I mean, if you were to ask me, what are you doing in your free time? I'm like, what the hell's free time? Have you tried raising teenage boys? That doesn't exist. Like, there is none. I just thought of something. Let's talk about red flags. Um, this is something oh, yeah. that hasn't mm. hasn't been a topic uh, like in the zeitgeist lately. But I remember, I just a strike of lightning just kind of went through me here. I, I just recalled not that long ago, people were talking about interviewers who wanted like your Facebook password. To like go on your Facebook and see what kind of things you're posting? No. no. Yeah. Seriously. No, no. Red flag. Red flag. Absolute red flag. Like hell no. I'm not I don't want to work for a job that that wants to go through my private life and Nope. Because you know they're gonna be like that at work. Yeah, absolutely. Exactly. It's micromanaging to like a whole new level. I definitely wouldn't want to work somewhere where in the interview they're already preparing you for the additional work they'll have to do. You're like, you know, yeah. we're looking for people who just you oh, know, have yeah. grit and, and know how to, you know, work hard when they need to work hard. You're like, don't, don't paint it. Like this is going to be a difficult company to be at. Paint it like it's right. going to be an exciting company to be at. Yeah. Oh, well, I mean, I, I appreciate the honesty from the interviewers at that point. I, I think they're maybe trying to pull a curtain over that a little <laughs> bit, like hide it a little bit, but also like, you know, tell you what's going on and, and set the expectations so i mean i appreciate that honesty but at the same time like you're right like ideally that's not the situation that you're putting your candidates into what about if they're like oh man we need like a rock star engineer to come in and like handle these projects like it's going to take extra hours and you know you may have to work some but you'll be a rock star doing it <laughs> to me like that's me a problem money. yeah like right. i don't want to be the only person capable of doing the work so much that i'm the only person capable of doing the work like that does not sound appealing to me i think another red flag is if in the interview they seem determined to trip you up mm. to, to make you make you f- feel bad and look bad just to see mm. how you react because i've i've not done that but i've heard of people that have gone through that where they're, they're obviously trolling to see at what your breaking point that yeah. that's strange yeah i wouldn't be interested in a, in a position like that no yeah. I'll say red flags from the other side. We're, we're okay. Kind of yeah. Let's forward, use this so. as our pivot point. So red flags from the interviewer's perspective. From the interviewer's side. So I, I've had some really good hires. Carol was one of one of my better Thank ones. Thank you. And uh, she, she was a rock star. Oh, wait. Hang on. That's bad. No. Okay. Okay, <laughs> I don't know. I'm confused now. We're good. Yeah. But I, I hired this one guy. He looked so good on paper and I interviewed him and he was like charming and he had, but he, he like told me he had like 12 kids. I'm like okay, that's kind of interesting. And he and he at one point used to be a minister. I'm like, all right, um, not anything wrong with that. But it's like okay, so but he did have like credentials in coding and everything. And I'm like okay, so you know he was w- working in a remote area. So I, I bought him a laptop and everything. He never showed up for work ever. Not once. Not, not once. Not even the first day. Wow. Not even the first day. Bananas. And so looking back, I realize. He was he was on unemployment and had to go look for a job mm. and he didn't expect to get he just put his resume too good yeah. and he interviewed too well and he got hired. <laughs> <laughs> and uh and he's like, Yeah, I mean, yeah, you've got twelve kids and you're not he wasn't married. 
So he's paying like child support for all those kids. The last thing he wanted was a job where they're going to garnish his wages. Mm. Holy moly. And and the other one, this is really hiring, but this is, uh, well, it is hiring because I I was trying to directly hire in India for a while. And I I did, I did do that for for a bit. Um, There's um, a website called Freshers World. I think it's Freshers. I don't know. I'll figure out what that is for the show notes, but Basically, you you can see people that are graduating out of India, um, and and hire them directly. And I found a company that would handle payroll and all that stuff for them. Uh, and so I interviewed a bunch of them. But it's like what I found with with hiring people in India is like asking questions about their family was extremely important because if you know if someone was going to get married or a mother was going to die, I found that this is just me. Maybe this is just my experience, but. If if something family came up and they were just out of college, a lot of times they would just disappear from their job right. and go back to mm. the village that they came from. They take from care of their family. To take care of their right. family, which I, which I get, get but yep. they wouldn't say anything. They would just ghost. Yeah. Mm. Um, so I got, I got, when I started hiring people from India, I would uh, ask a lot of questions about their family situation and how old their mother was <laughs> and how old their father was and, you know. Was anyone planning on getting married soon or, you know, things like that? You got to be careful with that, though, especially here in the United States. Mm -hmm. There's some of those questions you can't even ask. Like, you have to find out. I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't do that at all with someone in the United States. Yeah. No, I was going to say, I saw a post recently. um, I'll see if I can find it so we can link it. But it was a mom who was talking about being interviewed. And basically, the recruiter got back with her and was like, they decided to pass on you because, you know, if you can't focus during the interview because her kids were running around Mm. and was distracting her, then you're not going to be able to focus during the day while you're working. So she felt like if she hadn't had her kids there, like they wouldn't have even known she didn't have kids, like that she had kids and Mm -hmm. she probably would have gotten the job. So, but you can't ask questions like that here. You can't be like, how's your family life? You know, are you going to have any distractions going on? Right. Whereas if, you know, over there, it's okay. I mean, I don't even know if it's okay over there to ask those questions. It, it, they have very little yeah. labor laws over there. So, yeah. That, but even that more cool. than a legal constraint, I, when I first started interviewing, I didn't think I was a very good interviewer. I still don't think I'm a very good interviewer. Um, but I, I sort of over indexed on trying to connect with people on non-technical things. So I was always asking people if they had pets or they had a dog so <laughs> we could talk about our dogs or, you know, what do you like to do in your free time? And then we all had to take unconscious bias training at work a couple years back. And it was all about don't ask people about their family. Right. Don't <laughs> ask people about their hobbies, because like then what you end up with is a whole team of people who like the same stuff mm. and all have dogs and all have the mm. same hobbies and you don't get the diversity of perspective that you really want on a team. And I was like, Oh, this is, this is all of the stuff that I ask. This is terrible. I don't know what to talk about now. Code. Yeah. yeah technology. <laughs> Apparently you're supposed to ask them about the thing you're hiring them for. <laughs> Who'd have thought? On the flip side, as an interviewee, you want to make those connections. So you do look for those things and people interviewing you to get the conversation rolling. So there is a connection there. So like one of the guys that recently interviewed me, like is if you look at Adam right now, he's got, you know, his flags behind him. So this guy had like a baseball flag behind him. I'm like, oh, you like baseball? I'm like, I love going to the Braves games. 
I don't like baseball. I don't really <laughs> like sports. But I was like, man, there's nothing like going to a Braves game and eating a hot dog and just having a beer. I'm totally cool with that all day long. I'm not a sports fan. But it then just got the conversation going. And then the two other guys chimed in and talked about how much they missed it during COVID. So then it totally was a really good icebreaker, though, to get you to feel like you're connected. So from an interviewee side, those conversations are great to start having. Yeah. From the other side, you can't really start those conversations because like you said, you get that bias again or bias for the person because mm-hmm. you have some connection with them or, you know, you then cross the boundary of asking something that they answer that really you shouldn't have been asking. Yeah. So what I'm hearing is lying about technical ability, bad. Lying about mm-hmm. social interests, good. <laughs> well, I didn't necessarily say I loved baseball. I said I like going to baseball go. games, which go. I like going and having a hot dog. Own the gray area. Yeah. yeah. Carpe Grisio. Yeah. There you go. Done on it. I, I do think it's important for interviewers to try to make the interviewee comfortable. I agree yeah. with that. Yeah. Because you, you're not going to get the best out of them. It, it, some people like to interview and they like to like be try to catch them out. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't, I personally don't feel that benefits anyone. Nope. It just makes them nervous. You're just going to get, you know, reactive, combative people. If that's, that's that, if that's your technique, make them comfortable, make them feel that it's a safe space to say whatever they want and to be honest. Yep. That, that's the number one thing is, is encourage honesty. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And maybe even, you know, if, if it's true, say something like, you know, Yes, these are the technical skills that we're looking for, but we are also very willing to find a person who is not already knowledgeable in these things, but has a demonstrated ability and eagerness to learn. And, you know, I I personally would much rather hire somebody who is always learning new stuff, who uh, is excited about learning than somebody who already knows the thing that I am hiring for, but has no interest in anything like i come in i do my job i don't talk to anybody and then i go home like that doesn't work yeah yeah so so i don't know if it, there was a it was a cold fusion facebook group and one of the guys i, I put in the show notes he posted so back in the day back in the dot-com day bubble he was uh they had headhunters would constantly like be sending people and and, and grooming people to to interview with them and so they would tell the recruiters that they, they were looking for people who were uh, fluent in MOVA, which was a completely made-up programming language. Did you guys see <laughs> I this? I saw this, yeah. I have not yeah, seen this. So they even came up with an O'Reilly book cover. Like, you know, the O'Reilly, they always have like an animal. So it was like a, a lion uh, with, a, with a crown on its head. It was MOVA. It was uh, uh, mult, multiple object versionless. Uh, architecture was what it stood for. It sounds so it fancy. Comp- yeah, it's a completely made up language, <laughs> and they did that so that um, they 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 would you know if someone came in, they're like, yeah, you know what, I'm dabbling around with MOVA, kind of enjoy that, I'm kind of interested in you know learning more about that. They're like, okay, this this person is completely full yeah. of BS, and they would like they they. That's an interesting tactic. Uh, but what's funny is like so everyone on the thread started. Re- responding and i'm like oh yeah i remember i spoke at movacon back in the day <laughs> the best thing about mova is the, is their community and uh, a newspaper in england picked it up the register.co.uk picked up the and they picked up the whole article they even quoted me in the article uh, about about this whole you know fake language but he used that as a, as a way to filter out candidates that are lying so it, it, yeah 
don't, so don't lie. Don't lie during an interview. You'll get caught out. Yeah. Yeah. It's not worth it. This is kind of meta to interviewing itself. But the one thing that drives me crazy that I hear in the background a lot is people talking about wanting to work on their diversity initiatives. And then they'll say things like, of course, we want a more diverse team, but we also want to hire the best person for the job. Mm. And I always think to myself, but you can't in one breath say that having a diverse team leads to better solutions and then say, but we'll, of course, but. hire the right person for the job because you're sort of negating the thing that you just said about having a diverse team. Like, how can you have the best person for the job if having diversity makes your solutions better? Like, I don't know. It's, um, it just drives me crazy. It feels like people are always hedging their bets. Diversity is a tough topic. I mean, we're, we're uh, coming out of the, word, the mouth of a white guy talking to two other white guys and a white girl. Uh, I'm sorry, white woman. Um, woman. <laughs> like, I, I totally 100% recognize the importance and it is a hard thing to do, right? I think that that is the important thing to say is like, it takes effort and you have to believe in it and you have to understand you're not going to be perfect out of the gate, but it, you have to just commit yourself to doing better next time, doing better next week and better than that the week after that. But and, and I think part of also what drives me crazy about those statements about we want diversity, but of course we also want to hire the right person for the job, I think is this sort of impossible belief that you're going to hire the person who can come in and just crush it constantly. Yeah, yeah. Because the reality is most of the people you hire are going to be fine. Yeah. And they're not going to be amazing and they're not going to be terrible. They're going to be fine and they're going to learn on the job and they're going to get better as they go. This idea that you're going to miss this opportunity to hire yeah. the, the proverbial, you know, right person for the job, I think is it, you're setting yourself up for disappointment anyway. I, I get you saying it. It's like they're said, yeah, of course we want to do that. But, but you know, if, if n- no one that's followed, you know, is we consider diverse applies or we consider, you know, we're just going to go ahead and hire what we normally hire. Right. Right. It's, they're giving themselves a path. Yeah. yeah any, one, one thing I've learned that anything after the but in a sentence totally negates yep, the thing. It's done. Before it. that, that first yeah. part doesn't you, matter you anymore. Just, you just wiped out the first part of your sentence. Especially yeah. if the second part should be assumed from the beginning. Like, yeah. of exactly. course you want the best person for the job. Right. Yeah. 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 Who, who says, hey, let's hire the not best person for this job. Right. Let's hire someone who's just. We want somebody you know, mediocre. Yeah. I mean, you, you hire on potential, honestly. I mean, Agree. Every, no, yeah. no person comes in just because they haven't been in the company and they don't know how you work. That, 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 that you're hiring on potential always. It's just some people's potential that the gap is bigger than others. And so you, you're taking a risk. But I mean, sometimes when you take a risk, you, you get really good rewards. So don't be afraid of that gap. Yeah. Don't be afraid of that risk. One of the guys on our, uh, on our board, this guy, Amish, Johnny, years ago, he said something, I can't remember the exact quote, but it was, he said, you have to build a company with the assumption that everyone you hire is going to be mediocre because hiring rock stars is not a sustainable business model. Nope. That you have to have processes in place and structures and organization that allows people who are mediocre to thrive and a business built on mediocre people to thrive. I agree. Cause you can only yeah. get so far with rock stars. And there's sort of like a recipe. I mean, I, I, I see that, you know, 
human beings are very complex. And if you have a team of people and you're hiring someone for a specific team and you have a very strongly opinionated person who's working on the architecture, the last thing you want to do, and and, and assuming they're performing well, last thing you want to do is pull in some other highly opinionated person who's (laughs) concerned with architecture, (laughs) right? Because, I mean, there's certain people that that's just, they have very strong opinions about how things should be done. And if someone disagrees with them on a bike shedding type topic, they will waste tons of time. Everybody's time. Everybody's time going over this one thing. And so, you you know, if you're hiring for this role, you know what, we're going to put them on this team and this person's on this team and this person's on this team. We kind of really need a person who maybe who's like a go along to get along kind of person who they do quality work, but they're like, you know what, they, they believe there's multiple ways to do the right thing. And so there's more than one way to skin a cat. So you, you, you're like, is that your personality? You, you kind of figure that out through questions. You're like, yeah, okay, you can go on this team. There's someone comes in and goes, no, the only way to do JavaScript is to this, and you got to do this and this and this. And you're like, and yeah, you're not going to fit in on that team. We'll, 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 we'll put you in the back burner, and maybe the next time we're building another team, you can come on and start that one. But yeah, not, not, with, not with this other person on the, on the team. It's just going to be headbutting. That actually reminds me of something that one of our patrons, Mingo, shared in our Discord. Um, it's a website, howtodeal.dev. And it's oh, basically awesome. how to yeah. deal with difficult people on software projects. And it lists out, okay, so it breaks down into categories, product managers, designers, project managers, development managers, developers, and quality assurance. And then within each of those categories, there's a bunch of different like personality types, right? So like, let's talk about developers. Here's the, the, here's the list for developers. The rock star, the aspiring manager, the bull in the china shop, the diva, the extreme <laughs> overestimate, extreme overestimator, the extreme underestimator, the hostage taker, the idealist, the incompetent, the soldier, which I think is kind of what you're talking about. The uh, what was it? Uh, mm-hmm. The one that goes along go, and just go along to get along. Yeah, the soldier, all, yeah. the technology enamored, and the legacy maintainer. And so the whole, uh, I think I didn't spend a ton of time on this website, but I think that. The impression that I got is that the whole point is to kind of tailor your discussion to find a way to work with each of these type of people. Like there, you have to treat everybody sort of uniquely and individually for their personality. Everybody has different goals, but at the end of the day, you need to build a team that can work together to reach your company goals. Yep. Yeah, exactly. One thing that I struggle with a lot when interviewing is at the end of the interview, someone will inevitably come to me and say, what do you think about this person? Do they raise the level of quality at this company? Should we hire them? Are they better than this other person we interviewed? And I feel like I'd never know how to answer that question. I'm, I can tell you that I enjoyed interviewing someone. Mm-hmm. I can say that they hit a couple of points that maybe I was looking for. But I, can, I feel like I never have the ability to become more definite about whether or not this person's really a value add or it would be a mistake. I'm like, I either enjoyed the interview or I didn't enjoy the interview. That's, that's my gut. And that's, it's terrible because it's not, that doesn't help anybody who wasn't in the interview decide on what the next step should be. That speaks way more to like culture. And I think that when it comes to interviewing, the idea of a culture fit is a trap, right? So like company culture is a big topic right now. And I think Mm -hmm. that I, I don't know enough about it to speak authoritatively. I'll just say that the things that come to my mind are a trap right like if you go into an interview trying to pick a person that you want to hang out with that weekend you're gonna get 
somebody that you would like to hang out with that weekend and maybe that person is going to be a good fit for your company technologically. Maybe they're not. Right. Culture though, gosh, we, we maybe we should try to find like somebody who actually knows a lot about that and, and bring them on for our discussion. But uh, yeah, I think that the idea of interviewing for culture, there'd be dragons here. Mm. Well, and, and so I work in an entirely remote company mm-hmm. and I know that that's a different context than a lot of people work in. But I, I oftentimes wonder if the idea of a cultural fit is almost blown way out of proportion. Because really, I have meetings with people, and then I disappear down into my coding hole. And then I come up and I have a meeting with people, and then I disappear again. And it's, you know, I'm, I'm not going out to lunch with these people. Mm-hmm. I'm not grabbing a bite to eat after work. We're not going to movies together. We have meetings, and we're generally congenial. Yeah. But like, I don't, you know, if you're passionate about your work and you love what you do, that's sufficient. I don't, I like the idea that there has to be more than that. I almost feel like is overblown. I agree. But I think that there's a few more things that I would put on that list. So like communication ability and style, Mm -hmm. right? You want to be respectful, but also, uh, you don't want to take way too much of somebody's time by over communicating Mm -hmm. and, or just like, you know, not being able to summarize that sort of thing. There are other soft skills involved there that are important to look into, but I don't, I don't want to try to speak authoritatively on them because I'm going to do a bad job. (laughs) (laughs) And, and the things that like, again, when, when I think about trying to interview for culture, it's tough because instinctually I go to, do I like this person? And that's not, not that's not culture. No. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. How are you going to get that out of, you know, Maybe at most you're going to interview, if you do two, three interviews, hour a piece, three hours, you know, they're putting on a show, you're putting on a show, all you're getting is window dressing. You're not getting any idea of, of culture. And apparently they lie about liking baseball and... All right. <laughs> Hot dogs are good. They, Beer's they lie good. About if, they actually want the, if they actually want the job and you know, <laughs> don't, don't want to come off unemployment. I was listening to an interview on a podcast actually just a couple of weeks ago. I can't remember which one at all, but one of the hot takes that the guy in the interview threw out was this idea that interviewing people for jobs is basically a ridiculous way to hire. That you fool yourself into believing that you've learned anything about this person in the hour or two hours or three hours that you got to talk to them. That really the only thing you should be doing is looking at their work and basing your decision almost entirely on the work and that you'd you'd be much more successful that way. I think it's tough. Like interviewing is such a tough thing to do, right? Because again, you know, the, there's things like that. There, there's truth in what you just said, right? But I think that people try to take those bits of truth to some sort of logical extreme, and that's yeah. when you end up with, you know, write me the algorithm for bubble sort on this whiteboard with, you know, without using Google, and you have ten minutes. Go, <laughs> like, <laughs> that's not a good interview question. Uh, I would just yeah. share it. I would share. I would just stare at the expo marker and be going, yeah, right. oh, take, take a lid off and start huffing smell? it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like you can't put someone on the spot like that. That's not, no, no one's going to achieve and no one's going to excel in a situation like uh, that. Unless the job is to code at gunpoint. Like that's, there's not a realistic interview question. Mm. Yeah. I think for both sides, both should be able to, you should ask. And if you're interviewing, people you should tell them 
what does success look like for me at six months? That is a great question to ask. Like, you know how I was asking, I talked about you know having questions to ask your interviewer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. What does success look like for me at 12 months, mm-hmm. right? So, and to make it clear as, you know, to be objective, because hiring is a complete crapshoot. Yeah. I mean, it totally is. Let's, I've gotten lucky. I've, I've had more successes than failures. Um, but the failures I've had, I've just been so incredibly embarrassed about. I mean, like they were just bad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so it's like making it apparent, like, and, and if you haven't told them up front, look, at six months, here's what I expect you to be able to do. And at 12 months, here's what I expect you to be able to do. And if you're not there at six months, you're going to get a warning and possibly fired sometime after that. And at 12 months, if you're not doing it, you're definitely getting fired. Right. Because the worst thing you can do is just just string them along. Keep keep yeah. failing, right? I mean, you got to fail. Failing early is a good thing. Failing early as possible is a good thing, but giving someone a chance at the same time is also a good thing. So it's a crapshoot. Just make sure you have your expectations clear on both sides. Yeah. Yeah. So actually, that's a that's probably a good segue into the topic that I mentioned earlier that I wanted to come back to, which is the cost of hiring the wrong person. Mm. Um, and which and now that I bring it up, I thought of another sort of related thing, which is. Um, Zappos, the shoe company, pretty sure it's shoes. Um, yep. they, I don't know if they still do this, but they had for a long time and they were famous for this policy of like on your one month anniversary or something like that, they offered you an not insubstantial amount of money, like a thousand dollars. They would say here, if you quit today, here's a thousand dollars. Like it didn't work. That's okay. Yeah. yeah. The, the whole idea is just, you've you know, been here out. for a month. You know better than anybody else right. right now, whether or not you are going to enjoy your time here, whether or not you are going to be able to contribute to this team. And it costs us less to give you a thousand dollars and send you on your way right now than to have you stay on for another six months and do poor work and hate your work and have the rest of the team dislike working with you. Like mm-hmm. it's just opportunity mm-hmm. cost. I really like that idea. Mm-hmm. Fail early. Yeah. yeah. Better than failing way late. Right. And so that, that kind of brings me around to the other topic, which was the, the cost of hiring the wrong person. So I, I, again, I think that there was a nugget of truth in what you were saying there, Ben, about um, when you take all of the potential candidates that are out there in the world looking for jobs, there's the spectrum and there's a bell curve. There's mm-hmm. a lot of people toward the middle of that bell curve where, you know, they're, they're going to be fine. And some will be a little bit on the lower end of fine. And some will be on the higher end of fine. And then you're going to have a few rock stars where you'll get lucky. And you're going to have, no matter how, how hard you try, you're going to have some people that just don't work out. Right. And I think the goal is to not, not hire the people on the low end of the bell curve as much as, much as you can. Because like that uh, story with $1,000 offer to leave illustrates, like the cost of hiring the wrong person is you have to spend the time not working, not getting the work done. Uh, that you were hoping to get done by hiring this person you've been paying them to not do the work and they're potentially dragging down the team and then you had a bunch of other people's work to onboard them right all the hr and paperwork Mm -hmm. and payroll and blah 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 to deal with all that it it seems like as an industry we should somehow be trying to find ways to make that more friction free the process of onboarding yeah like what if we could make the cost of making a mistake just much lower I, I don't honestly know what actually goes into onboarding and then offboarding people. But if you yeah, can move that towards HR zero. Side. I think that the, the problem is that it's going to be vastly different yeah. for almost every company. Yeah. So, yeah, trying to generalize that. That's a very developer answer, Ben. 
<laughs> we should be able to automate this. <laughs> <laughs> Developing my salt passing machine. It's an XKCD comic. Um, there, there is something to be considered though about the cost of person hours when it comes to interviewing. I mean, if yeah. you have an interview process with multiple tiers of people, and mm-hmm. each tier has multiple people on your side in the interview and then you're talking to other people after that and you're filling out forms about evaluating this properties and that properties of the interview and like how many tens of thousands of dollars did it go in to try just to find the right person that reminds me a lot of uh some interviews that i did at my last job at uh, university of pennsylvania this was not their normal approach but uh we had a younger uh supervisor and he wanted to like bring in some fresh new ideas and stuff so we were hiring for my team and what we did was what he did i don't want to take any of the credit he scheduled all of our potential candidates that gotten through the initial screening to come in on the same day for the entire day and he scheduled everybody on the team as well as a couple of directors and a couple of people from other teams that are just like they've been with the company a long time and they know the organization well or, or maybe they have like a, a good uh, bit of technology knowledge to be able to assess that person for what we're looking for real well. And so we did basically like a round robin of um, all of our candidates. So say we had like eight candidates come in, we broke up all of these uh, interviewers into eight teams. And so you would go sit, the, the candidate would go sit with one group of people for a half hour, 45 minutes, whatever. And then we take a quick break and then they would do it again and again and again and again all day. Which is a friggin' marathon, but personally, I really liked it. And at the end of the week, like, so you you have this Monday all day, you spend interviewing everybody on the team. You know, you've got 15, 20 people participating in this interview process, and all of them spend the entire day interviewing. And then maybe you take a day off to just sort of relax and let it ruminate. And then you come back on Wednesday and you have like a half day, just get together and discuss things. And, and then like Thursday, you make a decision and Friday you send out an offer like oh, one, wow. one week to interview. Like nice. It was intense. Like speed dating. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It really was. It was intense, but it was kind of awesome. I kind of like mm-hmm. that a lot. Interesting idea. Yeah. Cause usually it takes a while cause they have to interview multiple people and you yeah. have to wait for them to decide if you're the candidate or not. And yeah. Yeah. It's almost like the Hunger Games because all of them are going. Yeah, yeah. And that was another really awkward thing about it, right? So, like, we get... They saw their competition. Yeah. Yeah. Because they're all competing, but they have to be nice to each other. We had all the interviewers and the candidates in the same room at the same time to start the day. And we're like, this is how it's going to go. So, they saw each other. They saw who their competition was. and From District 13, <laughs> Welcome to Thunderdome. Yeah, right? Are, are we still talking about uh, the cost of hiring wrong? Or are we talking about... Sure, if you got something. Yeah. Yeah, go ahead. So I, I got both, actually. So so cost of hiring them wrong. Um, so one time we, we, we used a headhunter to hire a very expensive person that came from a, a very large, well-known company that is many multiples times bigger than our company at the time. And, you know, this was a person, he, he wasn't a developer. He's the kind of person that would be in front of customers. And unbeknownst to us, he, did, he, he passed a background check, but he had a very bad substance abuse problem. And we, we were like, something's weird about this guy. We didn't really know what it was, uh, but eventually we figured it out. And But we were so, it took us a long time to get to wrap our arms around because it's like, you know, we paid a lot of money for this guy 
and he came highly recommended. But you know, maybe we're just misconstruing the situation. No, no, he's a crackhead. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, legit crackhead. But, we, but but by that point, you know, it's like with recruiters. Typically, there's like a a break in period where you you know if you fire them within that period of time, then you get your money back or get to use it again for someone else. We'd already passed that, so all that money was just burned up and you know, he'd already killed goodwill with customers and, and, and people that he'd been. I thought you were going to say he killed yeah. a man. <laughs> well, I don't know, that was our competition. But, yeah. So, but so, yeah, so that, that can be the cost of hiring badly. So like, like I said, failing quickly is important in that. If, yeah. you, if you, if you feel early on, wait, this is a complete failure. And that's why having those objective goals are important. So you can say that rather than just saying it's my feeling. Right. So that's, that's one of the costs of, of hiring poorly. But the opposite side of it, you know, what you were saying, I think one of the things I was most proud of, I, we don't do this now, hopefully we'll, we'll do it again sometime, but like when, when I hired Carol, that was, she mentioned she was an intern. So we were, I was going to colleges, actively recruiting, asking for professors from coding classes, who are your best and brightest? I got jobs for them. And so you can't really do this with people who are experiencing this with people who are just starting, you know, no person who's already has a mortgage and kids are going to take a paid internship. But someone just starting out might. Heck yeah. Heck yeah. (laughs) Working part time. And and that is, it's good for both, right? So I I think it is. So we got to know Carol and I think probably like six, seven Mm -hmm. other people that we eventually hired. You know, got to get to know them, got to see how they worked, got to see their work ethic. And they got to see how our company worked. There was, there was no, a lot of times there's so much shadow play going on during an interview on both sides of the table. You know, company might be trying to make themselves look better than they really are. Right. And the interviewees trying to make themselves look better than they really are. She was there, right? She she saw warts and all what, what we were. And, you know, she decided to stay for a good long time yep. until she didn't. So <laughs> I, I, came I, I was most proud. Of, yeah, then you came back. And <laughs> yeah. So I was most proud of that because I think it really, it, we got some really good quality hires yeah. out of that. You can't obviously do it with everyone, but. I think it, you know, that's a way to pursue. And it's good for the the ecosystem or the industry in general too, right? I mean, th- yeah. there's so many jobs out there now that are like entry level job and it requires five years of experience. Like, eh, that's hey, that's kind of a crappy thing to do. That's not entry level. Hmm. That's low level, but it's not entry level. But like growing your own developers, you know, taking on interns or or hiring college kids, whatever, some way to take on people who need to build experience and giving them experience. Mm-hmm. Unpaid interns, mm. I, I don't even know how that's even legal. Yeah, it um, shouldn't be. If it is, uh, but I, I don't think it's, there's, there's, there's nothing to lose on their part and there's nothing, you know, if, you got to pay an intern if they're going to be working for Right, them. you have some skin in the game. Yeah, both sides yeah. do. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things that we used to do historically at work, which drove me crazy, was we would hire people and then immediately have them start building business critical software. No. And I'm like, no, you don't do that. Have them work up. Have yeah. them start on, you know, really menial stuff. Get the lay of the land. Understand how the systems work. Understand the teams. Then maybe have them build something mission critical. But like time and time again, it became kind of this running joke internally on the engineering team. Is you would just hire people and on day one, tell them, oh, by the way, you're now building this next really huge system. Good luck. Right. That said, I, like I completely agree, but also the other side of that coin is you do want them, if possible, to deploy on day one, like something small and, and relatively inconsequential, but you know, get the ball rolling early, get that momentum started. Mm-hmm. I'm all for that. Cool. Well, we've been recording for a little bit over an hour. Does anybody have oh, any cool. pressing thoughts that you want to get out before we wrap up? 
I only have one thing yep. to add. There's a book called Cracking the Coding Interview. Mm-hmm. And if you get tripped up on questions, on technical questions, um, there's actually a GitHub repository that you can go open and it's got the answers in multiple languages. So you can just find it in JavaScript. Like, So if you do find that you're getting tripped up on questions, go read some. Yeah. And then go look at how someone else solved the problem and go at it backwards and see how they solved it to figure out where you got tripped up at. Just to kind of give you a little confidence boost when you do go in and you start hearing these technical questions, you're not so kind of deer in the headlights. Yeah. So. Mm. And always do background checks. <laughs> <laughs> always do background check. <laughs> we had one guy, one guy we did the background, he started working and then the background check came in and then ICE came and picked him up and he oh, put him in jail. Yeah, but do that background check before you hire them. Well, uh, we don't have any new reviews, but we have been steadily climbing in ratings. So thank you guys for that. And it looks like all of our ratings so far have been five stars. So thank you doubly for that. Heck yeah. Hey. What? No haters? No haters. Hey. Sorry, Tim. <laughs> If you think we've earned it, please consider supporting us on Patreon. You can find us there at patreon.com slash workingcodepod. We've got a bunch of people supporting us on Patreon, and we want to say thank you to all of them. And our new patron this week is Chuck, who, I don't know if you guys know, is my former boss from a long time ago that I talk about. Like, I go have lunch with him and still consider him a friend and a mentor. Uh, so, nice. hey, Chuck, I know you're out there listening. and Thank you. What up, Chuck? Thank you. Yay. <laughs> we also have what we call our top tier on Patreon for people who want to pay a little bit extra for some reason. And in exchange, they get what we're going to call a sponsored shout out. So if you've been listening for the last few weeks, then you probably remember who our top supporter is. And we have to say this whole pivot to sponsored shout outs was his idea. So thank you, person who wanted to pay extra and also pay that spotlight forward. You know who you are and you're a legend. So this week's sponsored shout out is going to go to Girls Who Code, which is at girlswhocode.com. And we know that that is a cause near and dear to the heart of our very own Carol Hamilton. Yes. Yes. Definitely go support them. Um, One thing that people don't realize is how, I mean, probably people do realize this, how few female engineers there are out there. Um, In my department, I went and looked the other day, there's 75 engineers and there are seven females. So if you uh, have the time, you know, you can volunteer with them. Or, you know, your company can sponsor or you can go, you know, donate some because diversity brings good solutions. So bringing females in to the industry is just going to help us grow the industry further. So go support. And and like you do, Carol, there's opportunities to volunteer, too. So you don't have to just yeah. support with money. Absolutely. Yeah. Go um, just reach out to local chapters. Um, you can donate hardware. If you don't want to go teach in the classroom or you don't want to go help, you can, um, like I said, donate hardware. You can sponsor trips. You, there's lots of things you can do with them. Awesome. They like food too. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. Um, so each tier on our Patreon has different perks, like a lifetime invite to our Discord server, early access to new episodes, and our after show, where we keep the microphones running for another 10 to 15 minutes after the show ends. And even if that's not your thing, thank you for listening. There's no podcast without listeners. So don't forget to share the show with a friend, because there's no better support than a word-of-mouth referral. Tell the algorithms to boost our signal by leaving us a review and a rating on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Send us your topic suggestions on Twitter or Instagram at WorkingCodePod. We'll catch you next week. And until then, your heart matters. You've been listening to Working Code with your hosts, Adam, Ben, Carol, and Tim. 
If you're enjoying the show, please feel free to rate, subscribe, and review on your preferred podcast listening platform. We really appreciate that effort. We'll catch you on the next episode of Working Code. So every time I hear you say the booster signal, I think about fire, the Firefly movie, the Serendipity movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, Serenity. Serenity, yeah, Serenity, yeah. At the very end, the guy's dying. Can't stop the signal. Such a good show. I, I think I heard somewhere that they're trying to bring that back. They try to like, reboot yeah, it. They're gonna re- yeah, reboot it, yeah. Nice. Or not reboot it, kind of like restart it, because it would be like some, some of the same cast. like um, Okay. Nathan Fillion and... What's the redheaded guy's name? Wash. He's dead. The oh. actor? The actor's not dead, but his character died. Okay, I was gonna say, yeah. Spoiler alert. Sorry. <laughs> how, how do you how do you clean your spears? Run them through the wash. Ow. You, only, you only get that if you watch the movie. Yeah, yeah. I assume you got speared to death. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, at this point, it's only been like twenty years, right. so there's no excuse. Yeah. <laughs>